0: Uh, It's good to be here with you all. My name is Eric. Uh, As some of you know, that we had to rearrange some schedules over the last couple of weeks because our family um, just had a bout with COVID. Uh, We're on the other side of it, had fairly light symptoms. So thank you for your prayers and your support during that time. And I want to say especially thank you for Elder Jenny and Pastor Ken for jumping in in that rearrangement and preaching and and doing things that were not in the timeline we had uh, pre-discussed, but as God reminded us through James, uh, the the lord wills <laughs> i will do such and such and so and so and the lord willed that i did not preach in the last two weeks uh and we saw that so i just want to say thank you to them just give them a little bit of uh, uh an encouragement in the midst of that both did an amazing job um and uh the uh, the only thing i want to just mention before we jump right in here is uh we have a discipleship course that we've been developing behind the lines Um, behind the scenes uh, that we have, if you've taken Rooted, this is kind of our new version of that. We're replacing Rooted with this. Um, It's stuff that our staff helped write and it has a little bit more connection with the values, uh, mission vision of the things that we are specifically about as opposed to borrowing from another paradigm. And so I want to encourage you, if you wanted to retake it and you've already done Rooted, no one's going to say no to that. This is not a call for you to retake it though um, if you've already gone through that. Although um, as you all decide to be a part of new ministries, As people come into the congregation from the outside and you're maybe just still here um, only for the last couple of months, as you maybe think about jumping into new house churches, um, I would encourage you all to do this. It'll be something that we'll kind of host on Wednesday nights for this first season. Um, and th- so the idea here, as you see up there, is that um, when you come to Common Ground, you go to our CGDNA class, we do that every couple of months or six weeks or so, um, there's another one coming up, and then the next thing is that we want everyone to go through our discipleship course, which is what we're offering here now, and then the thing after that would be then you go and launch out into whatever group would help you grow, if that's in a house church, if that's women's, if that's men's, there's uh, couples ministry, and there's a few others like prayer that we just felt like were built in a way that would cultivate community, that would help you grow. Um, so we want to encourage you after that's done. It's only seven weeks instead of ten this round, um, and it uh, revolves us around the idea of community mission and devotion, uh, which are our three pillars here. So that's my my all call orientation uh, for that is uh, in two weeks, September 11th. You'll go grab food. You'll come back in here. I'll give you an orientation. If you come to that orientation, you are not obligated to be a part of this. It is just you saying, I want to check it out. At the end of that, if you want to be a part of it, we'll get you worked in. If you're like, this isn't me, or I don't have time to to do this schedule, then we'll do another one in January, and we're going to do another one right after Easter. All right, every quarter we'll relaunch those. So. Um, I know it was a little bit of a long one, but that's new and, and something we're kind of been building behind the scenes. So September 11th, if you're interested at all, come grab lunch with us. Check out the orientation. We'll let you know what it's about. And if you want to continue with us, we'd be glad to have you. You can register for that, too, um, if you're at all interested. It'll help us know what kind of uh, numbers for food we need to get for that, um, that day. Uh, all right, cool. Well, let's, um, we're going to jump into James. Uh, if you have been tracking with us We've been covering James all summer. I've loved preaching, like kind of my home base is I like preaching through books of the Bible, um, but uh, there's been a lot of cultural things and topical things that we've wanted to discuss over the last uh, year or so. And so coming back to my home base through James, it's been a lot of fun. Um, and uh, it, it, we're in the last two weeks, so next week will be the last one. I know a lot of people may be out for the holiday weekend, um, but what we'll do is put an end cap at those last two verses, and I love the way James ends um, if uh If you're at all able to be there, please be with us that day, Uh, and so as we jump into this, this is the second to last week, and uh, open up your Bibles to James chapter 5, James chapter 5, and if you have been challenged, kind of the idea in this is, yeah, it was a very challenging book, so I've tried to say, remember, progress, not perfection, Right? Progress, not perfection. This isn't uh, get, get your life back together or, or start getting straight with God. This is ways in which we can identify, I need to work on this, I need to work on that. And James just tends to be this confrontational, here's something. In fact, his whole letter really is him saying, hey, I'm James. Here's a list of things I want you to change about your life which is always fun, and so we kind of dubbed him Uncle James, because he's like that uncle who's always got something to say about the life that you're living, and he wants to speak into it, and as he transitions to end this, he's going to throw in the last few things, and so James chapter 5, verse 12 is where we're starting. Um, Go ahead and listen in on this. I'll just do this first verse, we'll talk about it, and I'll give you some information here about it. Um, Verse 12, it says, above all, my brothers and sisters, do not swear, not by heaven, or by earth or by anything else all you need to say is a simple yes or no otherwise you will be what jeez (laughs) comes at us again condemned well there's a mysterious kind of uh, uh, verse that we're jumping into here because some people say well where does this verse belong does it belong with the last section you know verses 1 through 12. Eleven jumping into 12, or maybe verse 12 goes um, is a starting point, and it goes from 12 to the end of the book, and some people do one, some people do the other. Some people preach this verse all on its own because they're like, I don't know where it goes. It doesn't yeah. seem to make sense. Yeah. I think it carries forward. I'll give you a reason for that, but this is what I think is going on. He's setting up this... Um, this a transitionary statement about communication um as it pertains to both people of god and as it pertains to communication with god himself and so what he's wanting to do is there's this unnecessary and probably arrogant complication in the way they are communicating to each other and to god that surfaces some idols in their life i want to tell you what i mean by that when you make a promise or a covenant, especially in this day and especially in the Old Testament, what you would do is have some sort of collateral that could be real physical collateral, reputational collateral, some kind of piece of land, or maybe a part of your family trade, something in there that you would base it on. In fact, you see it over and over. I will give you whatever you want up to half of my kingdom, sometimes the kings will say in their, um, in their own uh, arrogance, I would say. It could be riches. It could be, um, you know, in, in our culture, we'll say this, like I, 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 uh, you know, I promise on my mama's grave, right? Just kind of that quick little, uh, you know, I'm gonna say that it's a bigger deal than just a promise. It's a promise on something else. And so what you have inside of this is this idea that you're like leveling up the promise that you are making. My yes isn't just yes. I'm gonna add something to them. My no is not just no. I'm gonna add something to that. And so if you really wanna go for it, you're gonna start swearing upon cosmic things like the heavens or the earth. If you're familiar with Shakespeare, it's something that happens over and over in that time. He captures it well. I'm gonna, I'm gonna swear upon the stars above, right? It's very romantic kind of language, but in this time, like I'm gonna, I'm gonna swear upon the sun, I'm gonna swear upon the earth or the heavens or something else. Often they would swear upon angels or the deity that they represented. And so all of this, is coming not far after James just told them as I just quoted to you all, don't say that you're going to go to such and such a town and do such and such a thing for a year and come back and make so much money. You have no clue what tomorrow brings. And so if the Lord wills, and he's continuing, in my opinion, this idea of don't be so arrogant to think that you can call upon these things as a part of your promise. And he wants to use this little one-liner, above all, right? Let's, let's not just uh, add all of these things to it. Let's uncomplicate it. Let's untangle that. And can you just simply let your yes be yes and your no be no? And be so good in your reputation that when you say yes or when you say no, someone says, he said yes, they said no, she said yeah, it's, it's done. That's what it is. If that's true, we, we know their history. That's what it means. And so by, by doing this, what he's wanting to do is set up this transition because he's about to talk about prayer and communicating to God. So in your communication, stop swearing by things that have no power. In that way, that's just idol worship. The sun and the moon can't do anything for this promise. You have no power over it. There's nothing you can do to control it. So that's just an idol that you're worshiping. And in other ways, you might say, stop swearing by the things you have no control over. That's your own arrogance. Instead, just do what you are saying. And just say what you intend to actually do uncomplicated don't give me this exaggerated collateral or even straight up lies Ecclesiastes 5 has a lot to say about this so I'm, I'm pretty sure he's uh, he's uh, gleaning towards that so if you have any more interest in that feel out the beginning of Ecclesiastes 5 I think it's verses 1 through through 5 and then it says otherwise you will be condemned and so he wants them to know that there's a consequence to the things if they continue doing this Let me read this together with this verse going right into this next one. It says this, verse 12, above all my brothers and sisters, do not swear, not by heaven or by earth or by anything else. All you need to say is a simple yes or no, otherwise you will be condemned. Is anyone among you in trouble? Do you see that transition? Say and do the things that you mean. And then by the way, as you're talking to God, if anyone is in trouble, let him pray. If anyone is happy, let them pray let them sing songs of praise out to their god and you want to see real quick just that juxtaposition that he's doing again that dichotomy that he's been using this or that contrasting um, in and throughout this book but here he is in the highest of times and in the lowest of times take it to god one pastor said in suffering or soaring go to god in prayer and so God is giving us not just permission, but an urgency to say, come with me, or sorry, come to me with every single season of your life. My arms are open. You don't have to do anything other than come to me, run to me no matter where you stand. There is something so powerful and different about the God that we're talking about in here because in other situations, in other faiths, in other gods, especially in the Old Testament, but there's versions of it today. It's like, hey, if you could just get your life put together, then you can come to God. Just get cleaned up, and then God will receive you. You can approach him. Believe the right things or do the right set of behaviors, and and you will be able to come to God. Or we sit under our own condemnation, right? How can I go to God after what I did? How could I go to God after all the things I've done in my life or after what I did last night? How could I come to him? And we pour on this self-condemnation that takes place, and God says, no, 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 no. Come to me, and then we're going to figure this out. Come to me, and then we're going to figure this The verses before this were all about suffering. If you're suffering, come to me. If that thing or season or struggle or addiction or outright disobedience doesn't change my standing before you and you as a child of God, I'm saying come to me with it. Don't let it draw you apart from me. Come to me. The Psalms tell us that we can bring our anger at God to God. Like, I'm mad at you for this. Okay, come to me. Tell me about it. Let me cultivate this relationship with you. Don't hide, don't run, bring it all to me. There's this invitational relationship with God that supersedes this moral kind of deism where we want to put barriers that we've created between us and God. And all it says is, come to me over and over. Prayer itself is this relational invitation that says, from the father to his children, come to me with whatever it is that you're dealing with. Is that good news to anyone right now? And so it says, if anyone among you is in trouble, let them pray, bring it to me. If anyone is happy, let them sing songs of praises, bring that to me too. And then he gets more specific in verse 14. Is anyone among you, someone say it for me, sick. That's very specific. Now the word is also translated as weak if you have a different Bible translation. And what it means is not just an everyday average sickness, but the kind of sickness that makes you weak, that you need help to do anything. Alright, it's probably a little bit set apart, although I'm not saying not to come with him with the cold, I am saying this is the context that this is talking. Let them call the, I was reading again from verse 14, let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up, and if they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Do you believe it? We'll, we'll check this out. So. I think often the way that that we come at this a little bit is uh, we we struggle with it. You, You probably have kind of a modernist orientation. Your worldview is a lot of individualism. What I do doesn't affect the community. What the community does doesn't necessarily affect me. Or your experience with prayer maybe doesn't match what James just described as being true. And so we don't like the fact that James just connected healing to actions like the use of anointing oil. Um, I picked this up. I've never run out, so I joked about this morning that maybe it's like an everlasting, supernatural <laughs> amount of oil. But I also don't use it very often. And Pastor Ken jokingly said to me the other oh, can I say this? I should not even ask you. He's like, you know, bro, it's kind of weird that you carry anointing oil with you all over the place. I have it in my bag. Everywhere I go, it's with me. So if that's weird, um, I'll, I'll claim it. I'll, I'll hold that. Uh, I picked this up. They ran out of anointing oil at Lifeway Christian Books. There's nothing super special about this. They gave me the sample because it was all that was left. And I've been carrying this for, I don't know, seven or eight years. So when I go into situations of healing or uh, deliverance, I have it with me. And, and we see this. It says, well, well I, I, it's not about the oil, right? Why do I need to have some kind of object to help me? Isn't God with me everywhere? And the answer to that is yes. Healing then, though, is connected to this idea of anointing oil. Uh, Healing is a direct connection to the amount of faith that you bring to the table. Does that hit a little hard? Like, hold up, that can go awry like 18 different ways. Right? Faith... Or sorry, healing is connected to the idea of your sins and the confession of your sins to others. James attributes healing to prayers prayed by certain people like elders and, quote, the righteous, whose abilities are distinctly powerful and effective. Is anyone with me that when you hear it like that, you're like, ah, I don't like that. I don't want to have to go to the righteous person. I don't want to have to have the healing oil on me. I don't want to have to have these things all around me. In a way, we can walk away thinking kind of two extremes. One is that we can't really do this because we aren't all those things, or I don't have all the stuff you just described. I'm not righteous enough. I'm not faithful enough. I don't have all of the things that I need. Nobody hooked me up with the essential oils for this situation in particular. And another is the other side of it. That we're maybe in control of it, because if I can get all of these things right, if I can uh, uh, conjure up enough uh, righteousness, if I can get the elders right around me, if I can get the right kind of oil and all the different things that I need to, I can make sure that the healing happens because I put together the the incantation, the spell the right way. Do you see how both of those worlds get really weird really quick? And you find yourself manipulating God as if he just handed you a spell book to heal someone. And so maybe I'm off, but I'm willing to bet that there's people in here who have prayed for something, who prayed honestly, who prayed fervently, and you didn't see the answer to prayer that you were hoping for. So how do we reconcile what he just said? I mean, those are very... Seemingly absolute statements that James is mentioning to us. How do we bring those two worlds together? And once again, like we are often asked to do, we are pulled into a dynamic tension wherein God says, yes, but not always, but kind of, and not never But, uh uh-huh, you do need to have some of that. But it's not only just about that. And there's a variable here and here and here and over here. And it's bigger than just what you're thinking. And so what I want to do again today is to invite you into that tension. I'm just going to give you a handful of those variables and then let you live there. All right? And I'm seeing that we have, like, about 10 minutes and I need to wrap this thing up. We'll see what happens, y'all. I think I can pull it off. I got less pages here than I normally do. So here's what I want us to do here is, um, as we're looking at this, there's different components that I want you to remember. There's elders with oil, there's the amount of faith you have, there are sins and the confession of sins, and then the prayers of the righteous. When we look at the oil, while people used oil on Jesus, we actually don't see Jesus using it very often. So it's definitely not required. So what is the purpose of it? Why do we use it at all? Well, it's it was often used medicinally to soften a wound. Like, if you've ever had a wound that's, that, that hurts, um, the edges and the dead skin can kind of become its own irritation, and so you can soften that with uh, the things that were going. So that was part of it. It was also used very often symbolically. One of the original things, the word kairos, and even christos, where, where we get this idea of Jesus Christ, comes from the idea of anointing something, often a shield while you go into battle, that held two purposes, to set you apart as God's, quote, anointed and also to make sure that the opponent's sword would slip off your shield and miss its mark very practical interesting huh so we have this symbolic idea that we are asked bring the over shepherds the elders remember what shepherd means somebody who is a shepherd that have that gift that's what the elders are to come and lead uh and and uh, sorry the, the elders and the leaders to come and directly be involved in the situation of the the thing needing to be healed the sorrow that that is being endured the suffering that you are dealing with in that time so in some ways it is making sure the leaders are involved and in the mess with you so ask the elders to come over And then I want you to see this this idea of of, um, how many other situations do you ever see someone break out anointing oil? I'm willing to bet almost none. I don't know any other situations other than when the Bible calls us to do something like this. And maybe you can think of a couple, come tell me afterwards and I'll adjust the sermon for the next time that I give it. But in the midst of it, what happens is as the action takes place, there's a scent. I think this is like frankincense or something. You can probably smell it when you come around me on the other side of this. It's got a tangible sense. I usually, this is just my own interaction. I'll do what I just did. I just tipped it over. There's a little bit. I will make the sign of the cross on someone's forehead, and I will pray over them. And so what it does is it kind of says this moment is unique. It's separate than just a normal situation that I've been in. Not special like this is going to heal you, but special in that I am extra focused on this moment And I am going to set it apart so that there is a way in which those who are called to shepherd and be in the mess with you are specifically focused on your situation at hand, and it stands out. And I think that's simply what anointing oil is for. It's focus. It's symbolic. It's calling God's attention towards something through prayer, but putting a physical action to it, Um, not in a bad way, not in an idol-worshiping way, but in a way that causes you to be more mindful than you were before. The second thing it says is your faith. And if I pray something, then it would happen. If I had enough faith, it would come to, ch- come, come to fruition. If I don't have enough faith, then it's not going to come into fruition. Well, you take that line and you add it to the, uh, the numerous amounts of predatorial con artists that have said, Hey, you don't have enough faith. You need to give me more money as a representation of your faith. And I will send you a, uh, uh, a prayer cloth through the mail. And over and over again, people are taking advantage and people's money, they will drain their retirement accounts because they are so desperate and people are predatorily taking advantage of them that they will use verses like this over and over. You just need to have more faith. Look, give up a little bit more. Tithe into this ministry a little bit further as, a, as an example of your faith. And so there's a, a, a lot of Baggage attached to this section of this verse, right? Has anyone experienced this? I I, I mean, I I don't know that I have a personal connection, but, you know, usually people throughout the TBNs, the the Benny Hins, um, who seems to have come into some level of uh, reconciliation with the stuff that he had done. But has anyone known somebody that was taken advantage of like this? I've I've known one pastor. um, He said he can't preach this sermon because of the way he saw someone take advantage of his mom and watched what happened to her. She was just in good honesty trying to act out in her faith, and I pray that God honors the faith that she acted in. So this one's tricky. This one has baggage, Uh, because if you catch it, James did say your faith is involved. So it's not not faith. Over and over again, Jesus says your faith has healed you. So there is a component of faith that we don't get to just write off, and I've reminded you of this over and over when we talked about spiritual gifts and the gift of faith, just that generally we live in a culture where we can meet our needs quicker than we ever have to go to God for those things. So our context puts us in a place where we rarely, if ever, have to reach the end of our means in order to solve a problem or an issue that then allows us to pick up and exercise our muscle of faith. So we live in a perpetual state of faith atrophy. In our culture, the more well-off and resourced we are, is, not, is not, not necessarily means the less faith you have, but it means there's more natural barriers in place to avoid you working that muscle of faith with God. And so you think of, you know, walking over and over. Like if I, instead of walking drive my car to a specific place over and over, my legs are not getting as strong. This is the whole premise that the movie WALL-E was on. Like, can I get an amen on that, right? We all just stop doing the things that are naturally for us. So if you stop acting on faith and rely on a different means of transportation in prayer to God, eventually your muscle of faith begins to dwindle. So we do need to work on our faith. Let's be honest about that. This is the tension, though, that I'm talking about because it's, it's not just faith. It, it, it's not about the fact that we may or may not have uh, 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 solely the amount of faith because what you have up right up with faith is this idea of Jesus saying in James, when you ask, sorry, J- James saying, when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with the wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. So it's faith, but it's also your motivation. Why do I want this Lamborghini? (laughs) For the glory of God? I don't know. What? What are we doing? But there may be a reason that God has something. I'm not even even gonna take that fully off the table. I don't want a Lamborghini, but maybe you've been praying for it for the glory of God and you can actually say in good faith that that's something that goes to his glory. I can't answer that for you, but this is what I'm saying. If you can't answer it with faith, then you have to check your motives. Well, what motive am I using for this? God's timing is another factor. It may not be God's timing yet. He might be trying to uh, uh, build something in you so that you have this perseverance that James talked to at the beginning of it. It might also be not just timing, but God's uh, desire or intention for that circumstance to work itself out. And I'm going to give you an example in just a second of that. And so what we're looking at is the amount of faith or lack of it that you have, the intention or motivation you have when you pray for something, the timing of God, and then the intention that God has. All mixing in To produce whatever result it is that you're asking for. So yes, it has to do with your faith, but it's not just your faith. So we have to think of it in all these, we are desperate, um, in this desperate need to fight for the building of our faith right now in the culture that we're in. And so don't let that fall by the wayside. Don't let that be nothing in your minds. And there are other things to consider, though, that revolve into this when a prayer gets answered or doesn't get answered this side of heaven. The next thing I want us to do, uh, it's the third of four, and then we'll close up here, is that the possibility that our unconfessed sins can get in the way of answered prayer. James mentions this. He ties it directly to whether or not this thing gets answered or doesn't get answered. So, as much as our standing before God, and that's what I wanted you to hear me say early on, nothing changes your standing before God as a child of God. But the, the way we interact, the, the sins we engage in, the, uh, the unconfession, uh, the, the lack of confession of those things, um, or even our heart posture of doing something and being like, God, I messed up right, versus I'm doing this and I just don't care. I've been in both of those places in my life. Anyone else? And so there's this this thing where the sin and confession of sin gets factored into this relationship between you and God or you and others becomes distant based on sin, becomes disrupted, becomes distorted, just like any other relationship. If I'm sinning against my wife over and over, something has to be changed, and there's a relationship going on here, just as a, a relationship with your friend or if you have kids, your own kids, that might need to be made right before you can move forward. And so what I want you to see is if that relationship gets disrupted first, you are less likely to go to that, say, that person about it. And so when Jesus is saying, my arms are open, come to me with it. You're like, I don't, I don't feel like I can. And you take a step back. Well, come on, come on. You, like you, Jesus says, come to, I, I don't know if I can. And so you distance yourself from God in the midst of that. Second, you're more likely to disengage from the community of believers. And so your upward relationship and your horizontal relationships are all disorganized, messed up, and it causes disruption in these prayers. I have been in multiple situations where the first thing when I'm dealing with um, like some kind of high level deliverance situation Someone's dealing with uh, some kind of uh, uh, tormenting by a demonic thing That the confession of sins comes up And God says this thing needs to be cleared out They're holding on to something Sometimes he'll tell us what it is at times So this idea of, 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 of removing the sins um, is, is coupled with the specific mechanism The tool that you need to fix that thing Confession it's not very popular though, right? It's hard to go to someone and say, hey, I'm really struggling with this thing or that. And so my question to us today is, do you have some rhythmic way in which you confess your sins to people? I've told this story before, but I used to do college ministry and we installed these things. We call life transformation groups and we've had versions of it that we've made available here, wherein you are asked to, on a weekly basis, have you struggled with this or that or this thing? It gives you a handful of questions, allows you to confess your sins. And we would have this big end-of-the-year camp that we would go to with these students. And at the end of the camp, is anyone familiar with it? What happens on the very last night? Bonfire, campfire. Let's get those emotions going. (laughs) Our kids called it cry night. And they're like, man, you took all the punch out of cry night. Well, I'm sorry, man. What, What happened? Well, we realize that we're confessing our sins every week in life transformation groups that we are not holding on to it for an entire year and having to write it on a piece of paper and throw it into the fire. Mm-hmm. So I'm mad about that, but I also know we're healthier people for it. Yeah. Amen. So confession is the, uh, is the mechanism that God says it's built right in. Now I want you to, um, to see this uh, last thing here. Uh, so we are to confess our sins, but here is another tension I'm going to bring in. So if you Remember John 8. It says this, Jesus, this is who it's talking about. As he went along, he saw a man blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus replies, neither this man nor his parents sinned, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed through him. And so this is what I mean, God's timing, God's intention. He may have an intention greater than the thing that we're dealing with in mind in that circumstance. And so sometimes we're having to ask ourselves this, and here's, this is my prayer in those situations when I want to know that. God, if it's possible, could you let me in on the thing that you're trying to accomplish? Because it just makes it a little easier. <laughs> can you give me a little sugar with this medicine so I can understand fully and make sense of it? I'll do my best to trust no matter what that you are working for the glory of what you have installed, but if you could just tell me the angle so I can feel a little bit better about this. And sometimes he tells me and sometimes he doesn't. But it's one of those moments, go to him. The final one, what about the prayers of the righteous? Well, here's the bottom line. You were made righteous. You don't have to doubt that. You're standing before God, made you righteous before him. There's no more or less righteousness that you can accomplish by anything that you do because Jesus' blood is the cost that was paid for that and he positioned you so that you have it here and now forevermore. You're righteous. So here's a little injection of confidence. Pray like you are righteous. Pray like God has made a way for you to come to him no matter what. And he's simultaneously breaking down this idea with this very last section, and I'll read it, 17 and 18, he's wanting to instill a little more confidence in you, give you a little bit more understanding that you can do these things, but he's going to throw a hero of the faith in front of them and tear down the wall that separates them. Verse 17, Elijah was a human being, even as we are. Underline it, highlight it. If you got your little app out, put the little yellow highlighter thing around it. Even as we are, he prayed earnestly that it would not rain. And it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again, he prayed, and the heavens gave rain and the earth produced crops. God, can you just make it not rain today? Okay, now make it rain. What? Elijah, I got caught up in this. It actually stumbled my time for prepping this sermon. I just started reading through 1 Kings 17, 18, and 19 because I wanted to go back to the context where this happened. Elijah was uh, uh, living in what he called, this is what 1 Kings 18, a double-minded culture. Elijah went before the people and said, how long will you waver between two opinions? If it is the Lord, then follow him. But if it's Baal, then follow that God. Follow him. And so it's not a mistake that when James opens this whole letter, he says, don't be double-minded. He's echoing Elijah and bringing it to its final close right here in the literary genius that is James. And then he called down fire on heaven from heaven to establish that the God Yahweh he served was the true God. He prayed not just for that, but to get fed. Like, like, he's calling down fire from heaven, but also, God, I'm hungry. Very practical. So you see in Elijah's example these giant, audacious prayers, but then he's very practical. I need some water, and God, provide it. for. he prayed to raise a boy from the dead, and yes, as we just read, he prayed to withhold rain and to reinstate it so that the glory of God would be made known. And he was a human just like you and me. So here's how I want us to end. Beloved, Pray. Pray. Take things to God, whether it's, I need food right now or I need fire from heaven. Pray. Call on the community, the elders, to anoint and focus and pray over you with anointing oil or whatever means necessary it will take for them to get into the mess with you. We want to open things up prayer for prayer regularly here on Sunday mornings we tell you there's four responses that you can sing you can pray you can give uh, and then we do communion together it's up there every week but very rarely does somebody come up to me and ask me for prayer after the service. We have an engaging God service where we want to specifically listen to God together pray with each other pray over each other uh, interdependent as a community of God come to those. Pray with faith that is not double-minded. Build your faith. Lean on God more than the things that you lean on at your disposal and your resources. And confess your sins to one another. Stand on the truth that God has made you, made you a righteous person because of his work on the cross. And it's hopeful. My, my, My hope is that one day, our children and their children's children and their children will look back and say, man, they were faithful and they prayed as James told them, Can we pray for the same big, bold, audacious prayers as our parents and grandparents did? So what is it that you're praying for? Pray like Elijah. Jump in there. Go for it. Come to God. Don't run from him. Take it to him as the children of God are meant to and made a way for. Let's pray together right now and ask for this to be true of our congregation. So God, we thank you so much for... Um, what you will do through us, what you will do in our congregation. God, I pray um, that there is a lot that we want to do and a lot that we're even praying for um, as leaders right now. So God, would you give us the ability to step into those things? Would we understand that our yes should be yes and our no should be no, so that when we come to you, we are not exaggerated, but we are just clearly and in good conscience coming to our Father in heaven so that we can communicate and ask for things that will glorify you. Help make our hearts right. Align us. God, get us on the same wavelength as you uh, so that we pray the things that you want to have prayed. God, make us a not double-minded congregation. Make us a not double-minded community of Christians and believers on this soil. Father, would we glorify you and see things greater than we ever thought possible through those prayers. Father, build into us, make us stronger, help us to exercise this muscle, and we want to give you the glory for everything that happens on the other side. We pray for this now in Jesus' name. All God's people said, amen. Amen.